Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Here is the man who's going to come through to claim his third Grand Prix victory. The nearly man, really, of Formula One. Often the forgotten man in the Renault team. He is the winner of the Malaysian Grand Prix, Giancarlo Fisichella. It's hard to believe that was the third and final win of Giancarlo Fisichella's 14 years in Formula One. The Italian's career looks more modest than his talent and racecraft deserved. But Fisichella has fond memories of Formula One, his former teammate Fernando Alonso and his five races with Ferrari. My first race with Ferrari in Monza uh, everybody, all the media, all the people, uh, the fans, uh, they were around me. It was uh, pressure, of course, but also power. I knew it was maybe better to don't go to Ferrari, but this was my dream since when I was young. It was amazing. Hello, I'm Tom Clarkson, and this is F1 Beyond the Grid. This week, I'm speaking to one of the most popular and charismatic drivers of his generation, Giancarlo Fisichella. There was rarely a dull moment in Giancarlo's career, whether it was being awarded his first win five days after the 2003 Brazilian Grand Prix had actually finished, or taking pole for the underdog Force India team at Spa in 2009. Drama was never far away. In another life, Fisichella might have become world champion. Driving for Renault, he claimed early victories in both 2005 and 2006, but they proved to be full storms, thanks to a combination of bad luck and Fernando Alonso's unconquerable speed in the same car. Fizzy wasn't finished writing headlines, though. He created history for Force India by following that pole in Belgium with a podium to secure the team's first ever points. Then came the fairy tale finale to his Formula One career, a seat at Ferrari in place of the injured Felipe Massa for the remainder of that 2009 season, just in time to race in front of the Tifosi at Monza. While he scored no points in his five races for the Scuderia and never returned to the Formula One grid, Fizzy tells me that he has no regrets about fulfilling his childhood dream. He talks about the highs of Brazil and Belgium, his relationship with Alonso, and the power he felt as an Italian driving for Ferrari. Plus, hear Giancarlo's tales of playing football with Michael Schumacher and spinning the decks in Ibiza as DJ Fizzy. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Giancarlo, it's fantastic to speak to you again. How are you? Where are you? Hi, Tom. Uh, it's, it's fantastic for me also to speak with you. I remember long time ago you came to Rome to my house. We had a great barbecue, I seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, Fizzy, you've got a broad smile on your face, which makes me think you're a man who's been in a Formula One car again recently. And I think you were at Fiorano yesterday. Do just tell us before we go any further, what were you driving? You know, I was uh, in Fiorano. 
most of the test driver like Andrea Bertolini and some other some other drivers are busy in Le Mans this year. Um, it's a shame this year I'm not in Le Mans after 13 times in a row. So uh, I was free and uh, they asked me to do some uh, shakedown for a couple of Formula One of uh, some very important clients. One of those was the SF70. It was my first time in a hybrid car. It was nice to, to run with this car. It was nice to, to drive this car. There was a lot of good, uh, good engine, good power, especially the grip. It's quite a lot. Maybe the, the, the weight of the car is uh, quite a lot different compared to the car I used to drive. Uh, it's um, 150 kilos heavier. But uh, yeah, the new generation car is nice. It's interesting that you talk about uh, the power unit. Was the power delivery different compared to the V8 and the V10 that you raced? The V10, especially at the beginning, was 3,000, 3.5 liters, and then was 3 liters. Yeah, the 3.5 liters was amazing. A lot of power. Then I remember around the, the, the 2005, 2006 with the Renault engine, uh, we were uh, around 900, 950 horsepower. Uh, in the qualifying session, we were, we've been able to run uh, until uh, nearly 20,000 revs. This is uh, amazing. With the hybrid engine, turbo engine, uh, the revs are much less. They, they, they run around 12,000, 13,000, something like that. And uh, they have uh, eight ratios instead of six, seven we used in the past. Uh, obviously, the power is a little bit different. Look, how were you physically just out of interest? You turned 50 earlier this year. Were you okay physically in the car? Yeah. I mean, since when I stopped racing in Formula One, I started a new let's say, a uh, new life in an endurance race. Already in 2010, I was uh, in the competition in GT department of Ferrari. I am still in this department. I'm still uh, one of the factory drivers. And uh, yeah, from 2010 until today, I'm racing. So I need to be fit. Uh, even if I am 50, you know, I raced two weeks ago in uh, Pergusa, which is a a circuit uh, in the south of Italy, and I won. So uh, I'm, I'm still winning, I'm still uh, competitive, I still enjoy, and uh, until I feel this uh, sensation, I, I will go ahead for a few more years, why not? I don't think there is a driver in the world who's done more laps in a Ferrari 488 than you, Fizzy. Do you still watch the Formula One races? Yeah, sometimes, yes. When I'm free, uh, I'm happy to watch the race. I enjoy to see them. I was in Monaco just uh, this Saturday. It's a bit different Formula One, different style, but it's still Formula One, you know. It's the best uh, motorsport uh, talking about uh, motor racing. And what a day to be in Monaco. So you must have seen those final laps of Q3 with Verstappen, bouncing off the walls, Fernando putting in a sensational lap, Leclerc, Ocon, one of the best qualifyings I've ever seen. Would you agree? I agree, I agree. Uh, it was uh, an amazing qualifying session. Uh, they were so close. Monaco, it's, uh, it's a fantastic circuit. It's, uh, it's a very difficult circuit physically and mentally. The minimum mistakes uh, can cost you, you know, crash or the, the lap. It's so important to be precise. All of them, they drive very well. It was a fantastic uh, yeah, qualifying session to watch. Now, one of those names I've just mentioned, Fernando Alonso, right? Your former teammate at Renault, 
just how impressed are you that he's still operating on that high level all these years later? I am impressed, but I knew that because Fernando, you know how, how quick it is, 42, 43, 44 years old, he can take the same speed and he has a much more experience than uh, than the past. So for me, Fernando is uh, in one of the best moments of, of his career and uh, he can win few races this year with a good car. Uh, I'm happy for him and I wish all the best for him. How does age affect racing drivers, Giancarlo? As you have got older, have you got slower? I mean, obviously you've got more experience, but is there a negative side? And if so, what is it? Yeah, it's a nice question. I mean, on my experience, I can say the speed is uh, about the same. Uh, I am, you know, still quick. Uh, I can do the same lap time as uh, uh, the, the, the quickest driver. Definitely, I feel, <laughs> I feel more, you know, tired during, during the stint. Uh, I sweat more. Obviously, the double stint, the tri- triple stint in, uh, in uh, Le Mans, uh, it's uh, more demanding for me than a few years ago. I'm still uh, able to do it, so I'm happy. <laughs> and, and how about jet lag? Funnily enough, Alonso said to me recently that as he's got older, he finds the jet lag affects him more. You do a lot of racing in America. How do you find it when you go over there? It was uh, a bit tough. Uh, even for me, it was difficult, you know, the trip in the, on the flight. And then uh, when I when I landed, uh, taking the, you know, uh, the jet lag, uh, it was difficult to sleep overnight. Uh, you know, two, three hours of uh, sleeping and then I was uh, awake. So it's more, more difficult on that. Well, look, let's bring it onto your own Formula One career now, Giancarlo. When you think of your 14 years in F1, what's the first thing that springs to mind? Well, the first thing is I'm happy, I'm very proud to say I, I've been there for 14 years. It was my dream when I, when I was young, that the dream become true. And uh, it's so difficult to get in Formula One and it's so easy when you get in Formula One to finish the, your career in Formula One. But I've been there for 14 years, so I'm happy about that. Obviously, yeah, I won races. I did some pole position, some fast lap, but uh, the target and the dream was to win the championship. Uh, I didn't get it, but I did my best and I will never come back. <laughs> Not even now at the age of 50. But what, I mean, it's three wins, four pole positions. And, you know, I think I saw all... 231 of your races uh, at the track and I always felt that you were a driver who deserved better to get more wins and there was a lot of bad luck and do you think that as well do you think that had the cards fallen differently it could have ended in more race wins yeah I'm more I'm more convinced than you because I know what happened to me most of the season uh, I was uh, driving not for a winning team. I was driving for a winning team uh, in 2005 and in 2006 in Renault with Fernando. The first race straight away in uh, Australia, I did the pole position, I won. So I said, uh, this is my year. But then just after that, already the second race, uh, I had uh, a few problems, mechanical, technical problems, and I didn't score enough points uh, to compete for the championship. And when it's like that, you need to work for the team and you need to work for your teammate. And that's it. Here is 
the man who's going to come through to claim his third Grand Prix victory in 161 starts. The nearly man, really, of Formula One, often the forgotten man in the Renault team. He won last year's first Grand Prix and then had bad luck from there on. This year he had bad luck in the first Grand Prix and he hopes it's a reverse. That good luck will follow for the rest of the season. He's had tremendous luck here. He's driven brilliantly. He is the winner of the Malaysian Grand Prix, Giancarlo Fisichella. Thank you very much, guys. Fantastic job. Bravo, 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 bravo. And then 2006, you win early on in the year as well in Malaysia. I can see the trophy in the background there. But did the same thing happen again? Did you suddenly find yourself with a few technical problems? And then before you knew it, Flavio Briatore was saying, Giancarlo, we need you to support Fernando. Exactly, exactly. It's uh, what happened, but I'm a professional driver. And I said, uh, I am here for you. I am here for the team, for Fernando. Uh, I work for you. Let's win the, the Constructors' Championship. And we won it in 2005 and 2006. Tell us about the relationship with Flavio. Was he, was he a straightforward boss? Did you enjoy driving for him? Absolutely. I had a very good relationship and friendship with him. Uh, uh, already in 1997, he called me to drive for, uh, for Benetton. I did. Uh, I remember one test in Estoril with the Benetton, uh, uh, end of 1996, and uh, just after he called me to London, and I signed a contract for five years with him and for Benetton. In 1997, yeah, I was in Jordan, but I was uh, under contract of uh, of Benetton, uh, and then uh, I went to Benetton from 1998 to 2001. Flavio is uh, is very clever. Doesn't give you two chances. Uh, it's very straight. I think it's a guy who needs a Formula One team. And in fact, with him, we won a you know, championship, uh, not just with me and Fernando, but also with, with Michael. Uh, uh, he's been able to win a yeah, championship with, a, with the Benetton in the past. If there's one man that you owe your career to in Formula One, is it him? Uh, first of all, I have to say thank you to Giancarlo Minardi. Because uh, my first season was in 1996 and uh, Giancarlo Minardi put me in the, in the car. Then, yeah, Flavio was very important people for me. Not just in 1997, but also in 2005 again. I was, I mean, in 2004, I was racing in Sauber and I was, uh, I was doing a very good season. Uh, at the end of the season, he called me and he said, uh, we want you for next year for Renault. So uh, that was good for me. I was happy to race with him. Can I ask you a question about that Sauber year? Because as you say, it was a very, very strong year for you. Your teammate was Felipe Massa. You got, I think, twice the number of points that Felipe did. But I always felt that you'd gone to Sauber because you thought there might have been a chance of getting into Ferrari because they, they of course, had the Ferrari engine in the Sauber. Was that the motivation to go to Sauber in the first place? Yes or not? I mean, it was a good motivation. Uh, it was good uh, to work a bit closer with Ferrari and racing with the Ferrari engine. But, uh, you know, there were not a lot around me in 2004. In 2003, I finished the, the, the contract with Jordan and, uh, and around there were just a couple of seats free. And maybe this was the best option for sure.
the Jordan team are bouncing up and down in the pit lane. Debris all over the track. As far as the Jordan team are concerned, this race is over and they have won it. Andres Fisichella, his first win in Formula One. He can't believe it, can he? Look at that. Well, we said whoever won this Grand Prix would deserve it. This is his 110th start. He's been so close many times. He's been second before. Today, he's done it. Which brings us, of course, to the first of your victories. Brazil 2003. Look at the photographs of the podium, and it's Kimi Raikkonen, of course, on the top step. There wasn't even Fernando Alonso in third place because he was in the medical centre because he'd had a massive crash that brought out the red flag. Just what a bizarre way for you to win your first race in Formula One. How do you reflect on that now? Yeah, you know the story. It was uh, over the 75% of the race. In that moment, uh, I overtook uh, Kimi. I was second and I overtook Kimi, so I was leading the race. Just after that, there was a huge crash by Mark Weber and then by Fernando. He crashed on his car and uh, it was a huge crash. So, so they decided to came out with a red flag and the race was over because uh, it was uh, more than 75% of the race. By mistakes, uh, they give the victory to Kimi. But uh, myself and especially the team, we were pretty sure we were the winner. So we did an appeal and after a few days, uh, they understood uh, the problem. And they give me back the trophy. So uh, they give me back the, the, the victory. They give me back the trophy uh, two weeks after in Imola. But don't celebrate my first victory on the, on the top of the podium. It's a bit sad. Can you remember who informed you that the FIA had actually made a mistake and that you were the winner? Was it Eddie Jordan? Yeah, it was exactly Eddie Jordan. I remember very well, I was in Viareggio, which is, uh, let's say, near Florence uh, for a PR day for one of the sponsors of Jordan. And then he called me and he said, uh, Giancarlo, you're the winner. Now you are the winner. And uh, the FIA uh, recognized uh, mistakes. Uh, so we can celebrate your victory. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, it was Jordan's 200th race as well. So there was lots to celebrate. I guarantee, tell me if I'm wrong, that Eddie Jordan made some reference to money in the conversation about, I don't know, did he have to pay you a win bonus or something? Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, even if there was a bonus, you know, that he didn't pay me. <laughs> Look, Giancarlo, can we talk about Eddie? We've talked about Flavio already and, and the influence he had. But Jordan did give you a very competitive car in your first full season of F1. You know, what was Eddie like to work with? People say that he was brilliant with young drivers. Is that how you found it? Yeah, yeah, he was. As I said, in 1997, I was a Benetton driver, but uh, because there was no space uh, on, uh, on a Benetton, because they signed already a contract uh, with Berger and Alizier. So they gave me the possibility to try to run with, with Jordan in uh, the winter testing. And my first test was uh, straight away very, very good. Eddie was uh, really happy to, about this test. And I went on his house in uh, Oxford and uh, he said, uh, we want you for next year. We really believe you. We have a good car. Let's do the deal. And we did it. The car was quite good somewhere. I scored my first podium in uh, Canada, uh, third. My first points of my career in Imola, 
which was my, my home Grand Prix. I scored fourth in Monza. I was uh, nearly about to win the race in Hockenheim. I was second in the, in the qualifying session, just uh, 200 slower than Gerhard Berger. And in the race, I was leading the race, but unfortunately, I had a puncture. And the puncture broken the all the, the, the side pod and uh, the rear end of the car, and I, I couldn't continue my race. So that was, uh, was a shame, but it was, uh, was a very good season, yeah. How long did it take you to get over Hockenheim, the disappointment of Hockenheim? You know, it was difficult, but I was young. I was happy to be in Formula One, uh, happy to, you know, have uh, some more years contract with Benetton. And this was very important for me. There were several near misses in 97. Hockenheim, you've talked about. There was also Argentina. to each other. It's absolutely incredible. The two Jordans have tripped over each other. It looks like Ralph had a go at him and uh, they both went off the road. I'm just about to say, I have a feeling these guys are going to one-stop today and they're sitting absolutely pretty and they've run into each other. That is the worst thing that you can possibly do as teammates. Ralph went on to finish on the podium. You could have finished on the podium, I've got no doubt, yet you had to retire. You've got a great memory, Tom. Uh, <laughs> Argentina was another great race for us. We could score uh, second and third easily. We were fighting for the position, and my uh, Ralph, uh, in the middle of the race, he crashed into my car and uh, had to retire my, 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 ta- my car. And uh, yeah, there, there was a possibility to, to score easily second and third. But uh, yeah, there was a crash. That's part of the race. But I was a little bit uh, hungry <laughs> with Ralph. Well, can we talk about lots of your teammates? But let's start with Ralph. You were both at the same stage of your career. You were both hungry. You were both quick. What was he like? Was he super competitive with you? Or was he very relaxed? Did he share data? What can you tell us about the Ralph Schumacher of 1997? Well, Ralph was, uh, as you said, like me, young, uh, you know, uh, competitive, but was important to be quicker than, than your teammates. During the season, uh, I was uh, quicker than him. I scored more points than him. It was very competitive. He's been not my best teammate. Always, uh, you know, watching you, strange, uh, not happy to, to, to share the, uh, the telemetry. was not working as a teammate for the team you know it was just important for him to be in front of me that's that was uh, his target and that was my target as well it must have been difficult for ej to to keep you guys under control it's actually giancarlo one of the big differences i've noticed in formula one over the last 20 years is that it's less of a hostile environment now compared to when you were racing I think the intra-team rivalries are still there, of course, but the emphasis is on the team so much now. Uh, whereas back in your day, the drivers were just all out for themselves. But look, you go from Jordan to Benetton, where Alex Wurtz is your teammate. Over the, th- the three years you were together, you beat him twice. He beat you in that first year. Did you make a good pairing? Yeah, with Alex, uh, we worked together very well. He was a nice guy. Uh, he was uh, quick. We are still friends. Sometimes I, I see him in the 
an endurance race. Uh, he's working for Toyota. And yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it was quick. It was a uh, bit up and down, uh, but uh, very focused on it, very fit, uh, very concentrated on, on, on it. And it uh, was nice to work with him, yeah. Was he very technical? Yeah, yeah, quite technical. He was uh, spending a lot of time with engineers, with the mechanics. This is very important. That last year at Benetton, 2001, the car wasn't competitive and Jensen Button comes in. He's very highly rated. He was at Williams the year before. He has to give way to Juan Pablo Montoya at Williams. Flavio gets him to come and join you at Benetton. And you definitely had the better season. There's no doubt about that uh, in, in 2001. What are your memories of Jensen? Well, Jensen is uh, another ni- nice guy. In this season, we were struggling a lot with this car, especially with this engine, with the angle of 111 uh, degrees. was not strong enough. It was, uh, was not good. Uh, it was a difficult season, especially the beginning of the season. So we were struggling. Maybe for Jensen, it was even more difficult for him with less experience than me. I remember one day we were with the mechanics and we were watching, uh, you know, Rolex and uh, watches. Uh, and the mechanic said, so if this year we get on the podium, you're going to buy a Rolex for us. I said, okay, no problem. Because this year we'll nev- we will never score a podium. But unfortunately, we scored a podium in, uh, in Spa. It was a fantastic race. I did a fantastic start. I overtook four cars in the, in the start. And then I scored third. I bought eight watches, eight Rolex for my group. It was nice, yes. You're a man of your word. That's a great story. Of your 19 podiums, obviously we take the three wins out of that. Was that Spa podium in 2001 your best? Yeah, probably yes. This one... Probably also the 2009 with Force India. While we're talking about Spa, I always felt there were two tracks in particular where Fisichella was brilliant. One was Spa, one was Montreal. What was it about those two racetracks? Montreal, you know, is a kind of circuit with strange chicanes, very low level of grip. I was already always quick. I was always comfortable confident and especially confident because there you need confident and very low level of downforce the car was so difficult to drive there i scored four podiums in a row and i scored my first podium of my career spa it's a completely different circuit than uh, than than canada but it's the best circuit uh, if you ask the, the the question to all the drivers most of them they answer spa is the best circuit because it's uh, you know over seven kilometers there are up and down, uh, different kind of corners. Uh, and there is the Orouge where you need to be flat uh, uh, if you are able to do it. Especially in the past, it was so difficult to be flat. Also in a qualifying session with new tires and a low level of fuel. Uh, now it's much easier. But uh, yeah, there it was fantastic. I scored uh, a podium already with Jordan uh, in 1997. few podiums in the past. And then the last one in, uh, in Force India was amazing, yeah. Because I'm trying to get to the bottom of the brilliance of Giancarlo Fisichella in a Formula One car. And I feel there must be something about those two tracks that brings out the best in you. And you mentioned low grip. 
in Montreal. Was that the key? Was that that you could feel grip? Was that what stood you apart from everyone else? Yeah, you know, it could be because uh, also when it's raining, when it's wet, there is very low grip, very low level of grip. And I scored my first four position and my, my first victory when it was wet. <laughs> you know, it could be. We've got to the bottom of it. It's that feel. Fizzy has more feel than anyone else. <laughs> Just to go back to some of those teammates now, you had a young Felipe Massa next to you in 2004. You outperformed him. But could you see a future star in Felipe Massa even back then? Yeah, Felipe sometimes was very quick, very, very quick. Uh, it was uh, difficult to, to beat him, but uh, it was young. It was uh, with uh, poor experience and sometimes was, uh, was doing mistakes. But uh, in terms of speed, Felipe was, uh, was uh, very, very good. Yeah. Why was Fernando Alonso different to the others? What stood out about him? Yeah, Fernando was uh, uh, my strongest or more difficult teammate I, I, I raised. Uh, Fernando was very good in, uh, very, in all the circumstances, low grip, high grip, rain tires, uh, and especially in the race, it was very, very consistent, was very focused, uh, not a lot of mistakes, uh, was uh, good in communication with the team, with the radio, was also political, but that's part of the job. So Fernando was very strong, very, very, very strong teammate. When you say he was political, what do you mean? Him just trying to get better equipment than you or a better strategy than you? How, how did that play out? Let's say, yeah, in the team, it was uh, quite strong. Also, Briatore was uh, his, uh, his manager. The main sponsor was uh, Telefonica, uh, which is a Spanish uh, sponsor. So it was uh, quite strong into the team, yeah. And for all the reasons you've just said... Did you feel that the team favoured him ahead of you? No, uh, we, I think I told you before, once you lose uh, the possibility to fight for the championship, you need to work for the team and for your teammate. I always felt that Alonso liked you, Giancarlo, and that the relationship between the two of you was good. Is that how you remember it? We worked together very well. We were sharing the telemetry, ideas, uh, uh, problem of the car. It was nice also before the race. Uh, sometimes we were playing cards with Flavio Briatore and our physio. Uh, it was so fun. Yeah. Oh, Fernando's good at cards. I also remember you guys having quite a laugh. I remember coming on a on a training camp with you guys. Now I know most of the training obviously goes on away from the cameras, so this was more a PR thing. But I just remember a lot of hijinks and mucking around and not an awful lot of training because we were all just having a really good time but it was nice to see though between you and Fernando yeah it was a good key you know also for the atmosphere into the team to work well together to have a good friendship with your teammate and uh, once we were in the, the track we were so focused uh, uh, it was important to have a, a good teammate like Fernando as a reference so or for him uh, having me as a reference on lap time, you know, it was uh, always uh, a good point to find the limit for uh, each other. Now, if we're kind of going through the teammates in chronological order, which brings us to 2007 next. Alonso's left the team to go to McLaren. Heike Kovalainen comes in. 
you are now the number one driver at Renault. Just describe how you felt coming into that season. Did you see 2007 as your big opportunity? Before the start of the season, yes. I was uh, quite confident. I was really, really happy to work uh, for the third uh, year on a row with Renault. And I was hoping to have uh, the same car as the, as the year before. But unfortunately, it wasn't like that. The car was uh, not quick enough. It was difficult also to score a podium, to score a point sometimes. So it was, uh, unfortunately, difficult season for me. Was one of the reasons it was difficult that you'd had to switch from Michelin tyres to Bridgestone tyres? How much did that affect the performance? That was the main problem. I am sure the Renault 2005 and 2006 was uh, tailored for the Michelin tyres. Also, let's say, for Fernando's style of driving. Unfortunately, when we passed to Bridgestone, the behavior of the car was completely different. And obviously, uh, you can't do anything... uh, like, uh, you know, when you came out with a car, you can do some development, you can recover it. But unfortunately, the handling of the car was, uh, was difficult for all season. And that was a tough season. Did you have to change your driving style for the Bridgestone tyres? Yeah, also another reason. You need to change the, the, the driver of styling. With the Michelin, it was very important to be very aggressive with the, with the steering wheel at the, at the turn with the Bridgestone was not good. It was the opposite uh, style of driving. So uh, it was uh, <laughs> difficult to start again from the beginning. How quickly did you realize that you were going to have to do things differently? Uh, quite quickly, very quickly. Already on the first test in the winter time when we come out with a, with a new car, it was different to drive. We were not sure if we were quick or not, but I was not comfortable like uh, the year before. So you then go back to Jordan, effectively, Fizzy, except it is now called Force India. It is owned by Indian billionaire Vijay Malia. How had the team changed for 2009 under the new ownership? Yeah, for the, let's say, the third time I went back to the same factory, 1997, 2002, 2003, and then in 2008. Obviously, in all those years, there have been a lot of changes in the team. Uh, before was Jordan, and then, uh, uh, if I'm not wrong, Spiker and Midland, and then uh, for Cynthia. So, too many changes. Uh, it was uh, a new team and uh, was, uh, let's say, Serie B team. Uh, in Italy, we say Serie B, which is not uh, the top team. Uh, in 2008, I was very struggling, uh, struggling quite a lot with the, with the car. It was so difficult to be in top 12, top 14. It was nearly impossible to score points. Um, we were always uh, on the back of the grid. But uh, in 2009, the new car was uh, better than the year before. At the beginning of the season, we were struggling, but was was better. And suddenly, in a spa, with a new package, the new aerodynamics package, the car was completely different. It was a completely another car. And uh, straight away, Saturday morning, when I put it on, I was so quick. I said, hey, guys, we can score uh, points tomorrow. We can maybe, I say, maybe get in top 10 for the qualifying session. Pole position. Pole position for the Belgian Grand Prix, mate. Pole position. What's the future, mate? 
Yeah, P1, mate, not bad, not bad. Nobody expects to be on pole. And uh, most of the people, if you remember, in that time there was uh, the, the, the Q3, you need to put the, the fuel for the first part of the race. And the, most of the people, they were thinking, uh, Fisichella will do one or two laps and then uh, we will be at the box to, to refuel his car. Uh, it was not like that. I did uh, the same amount of lap of, uh, of the others. We were extremely quick. I could win the, the race. Unfortunately, after the first start, uh, we had a uh, safety car. And uh, after the safety car, Kimi uh, overtook me because he had uh, the, the curse. And in Forza India, there wasn't. So uh, for a few seconds, uh, he used the, the extra power and he overtook me. Started sixth. Kerr's button had him into second, despite the safety car. And despite the close attention of Giancarlo Fisichella, who may or may not be his teammate at Monza in two weeks, here comes Kimi Raikkonen. He's not won since 2008 in Spain, but he's done it. Kimi Raikkonen wins for Ferrari in Belgium. Four times winner, but what about the result for Force India? Their 31st race, and they pick up their first points, and it's a podium as well. Giancarlo Fisichella. And I followed him for uh, the world race. The world race, I was one second behind him. It was difficult to catch him at the exit of the corner because he was using the cares. Uh, I was uh, exactly with the same pace, exactly with the same strategy. I finished second uh, just behind him. Uh, but uh, this result was uh, unexpected. Nobody was thinking about this uh, before the start of the race, you know? So many questions on what you've just told me. First of all... How good was that pole lap? Would you say of your four poles, that was the best lap? Yeah, well, that was the best lap because uh, I did a, a perfect lap, just uh, one whisping at uh, the exit of the turn one and turn eight. That was, uh, was an amazing lap, yeah. Sometimes I go on, on YouTube and I watch it. <laughs> I also love the fact that you can remember that you had a little bit too much wheel spin at the exits of, of turn one and turn eight so it's a cracking lap really good pole lap and then when we had the safety car in the race did you know although you were in the lead at that point did you know that you were in trouble yeah i knew i knew especially because behind me there was uh kimi with a curse i said i need to, <laughs> to do something different but uh, uh it, it didn't work it, it was uh, it was too much different was... on on power you know and, and then when you were sat on Kimi's gearbox for the rest of the race, you just couldn't get close enough to make the pass. That was the problem because uh, he could use uh, the curse uh, at the exit of the corner. And uh, if you use it for you know, two seconds, three seconds, you gain 30 meters, 40 meters. And then it was difficult you know, at the end of the straight to catch him to get closer. Today with the DRS, it's uh, easy life. You can read my mind. I was about to say, if DRS had existed then, that would have been a Grand Prix victory for you. But what a sensational race. Yet afterwards, everything seemed to happen very quickly. Luca Badoa struggling in the Ferrari. Of course, he'd replaced the unfortunate Felipe Massa after his accident in Hungary earlier in the year. How soon after the Spa podium did you get the phone call? Uh, honestly... Just after the race, my manager, Rico, 
he told me, Giancarlo, there is a possibility. Get ready and think about it, but there is a possibility to race for Ferrari for the next five races. Obviously, we need to find a compromise with BJ, with Force India, and with, uh, with Ferrari, but there is this possibility. Two days after, Tuesday, uh, he called me and he said to me, Giancarlo, tomorrow Stefano Domenicali is waiting for us in uh, Maranello. And uh, I, went, I went there, I talked with Stefano, then we talked with DJ. It was very nice to leave me to Ferrari. I knew it was a difficult decision to do because the Force India was, uh, was really competitive in this moment. And I knew in a, in a different car, in a Ferrari car, straight away in the race, because uh, no, there was no possibility to run, you know, during the season. Uh, with the cares, with the front flap adjustment, uh, all the new stuff for me, I knew it was maybe better to don't go to Ferrari. But this was my dream since when I was, uh, when I was young. And uh, I was the, at the end of my career and I, I said yes straight away. So that's the story. And then you test the car in Fiorano. No, I test the car in Vairano, a circuit where uh, you can do up and down. But it wasn't a proper circuit, you know. And then for 100 kilometers, no more. So you went to Monza with effectively no testing? No testing at all. And then Friday on uh, free practice one, I also crashed the car. So because it was a real handful to drive or? It was completely different to drive. Also with the cares uh, in downshift, in braking, in downshift, you need to, to downshift very late uh, and my style of driving is completely different. I used to, to call the, the gear straight away I brake. So it was uh, very, very difficult. In every corner, my engineers was uh, calling me and uh, was telling me what to do with the cares, with the front flap adjustment, with the switch for the differential control. And plus the car was not quick enough. Also Kimi, apart from Spa, which he won, it was not quick enough. Uh, also him, it was difficult to score points for him. It was a difficult end of the season for me. But uh, as I told you, it was my dream since when I was young. And, uh, and I'm still uh, one of the Ferrari drivers uh, till now. So I'm happy about my choice. Because yeah. I'm going to put it to you, Giancarlo, that had you stayed at Force India and got some strong results at the end of that year, you would have stayed in Formula One. And yet you were forced to leave at the end of 2009 because it hadn't been a great ending with Ferrari and Alonso was coming in the following year. Would you agree with that statement? Probably if I was uh, continue the season with Force India, I could score some more podium, especially in Monza, but also in the rest of the season, and maybe stay one more season. You know, I told you, I never go back. Uh, I'm happy for what I do so far. I'm still racing. I'm still uh, in the Ferrari family. And as an Italian racing for Ferrari in Formula One, how different did the media treat you? Incredible. You know, my first race with Ferrari in Monza, I realized how important is Ferrari and Italian driver uh, Formula One. Uh, everybody, all the media, all the people, uh, the fans, uh, they were, you know, around me. Uh, it, was, uh, it was amazing. And did you feel pressure like you'd never felt before? A bit pressure, of course, but also power. But unfortunately, 
it didn't help me. Uh, yeah, I was I was struggling too much. And how was Kimi as a teammate? Was he helpful? Did he give you some advice? Just uh, ciao, hello. You know, Kimi, it's uh, Iceman. It was uh, it's a uh, style uh, a bit cold. Does uh, spend a lot of time with the engineers. Uh, it's very close as a character, you know. Can I just ask you now about Italian drivers and Formula One? You were the first Italian to win a race, I think, since Riccardo Patrese before you. And there's now no Italian in Formula One at the moment. Why, given the history of Formula One and Italy, are we struggling to get a championship caliber Italian driver on the grid? Uh, it's so difficult. It's always been very difficult in the last 20 years. But why, Fizzy? Why? All the karting, the top-level karting is done in Italy as well. Exactly. But, uh, you know, there are just 20 seats in the world. It's not easy to get in Formula 1. You need a good sponsor, you need a, a good team. Now, with the, with the Ferrari Academy, uh, Red Bull Academy, uh, Mercedes Academy... It's easier if you are a good driver, you can, you know, uh, supporting by the teams. It's not easy. It's not easy. Last uh, Italian driver was Giovinazzi, but he stayed in Formula One just uh, for a couple of years. Is it because Ferrari attracts too much attention and the drivers don't get a look in? Could be another, uh, another reason. Yeah, Ferrari here in Italy is so important, very important compared to a driver. It's the maximum. But if it's not like that, uh, for an Italian driver, it's uh, so tough. Well, it's interesting just to see the photograph behind you in your office, Giancarlo. It is you in the Ferrari. Although you only did five races for them, I can see what it means to you to have raced for Ferrari. And of course, you then stay with Ferrari and you're still with them today. So since retiring from Formula One, how's life been? 13 Le Mans. You've won it twice. Describe that race. 24 hours instead of two hours. It must have been a bit of a shock for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, I remember the first time uh, I drove the Ferrari 430. Very, very soon, just after my retiring in Formula 1, was uh, at the end of the season. It was uh, here near Vallelunga, where I live here. So I jumped in the car. I, I went out with a pit limiter on pit lane. I switched off the pit limiter. I went uh, on the full throttle position and I said, I called uh, on the radio, maybe the engine is broken. <laughs> it wasn't broken. It was just a completely different, uh, you know, power and the grip, uh, also style of driving. I spent uh, quite a lot to learn how to drive those cars. But once you learn uh, to drive those cars, it's, it's amazing. It's a fantastic championship. The, the biggest difference, you know, is... Uh, share the car with other two drivers. In Formula One, your teammate is a, how you say, opponent or how you say... Uh, rival. Biggest, he's your biggest rival. Yeah. Exactly. In endurance race, your teammate is uh, your best friend. He has to be your best friend. So you need to find uh, a good compromise uh, on setup that the car has to be good for everyone. And uh, because uh, on your own, you cannot win. You win in three drivers. You win with a team on the pit stop. Uh, you do over 30 pit stop uh, during the, the 24 hours. So there is a very, very intensive preparation. Do you sleep? Yeah, but not enough. A couple of hours, uh, maybe. Especially if you are 
leading, if you are fighting for the victory, you, you stay there, you watch the race, you, you are on the radio talking with, the, with your engineer, with the drivers in the car. It's a very special race. Amazing what adrenaline can do just to overcome tiredness. I have to say that the two victories, uh, when I was on the podium, I felt uh, very, very happy, like to win in Formula One. It's an important race to, to win, you know. And are we going to see you try and conquer other races? Are we going to see you in, I don't know, IndyCar? Or are we going to see you in, I don't know, any other form of racing? Let's say IndyCar, it's tough. I think 50 years old uh, and don't, I don't like to drive the car probably in the overs. Did you ever think about it when you were younger? Until I was in Formula One, no. Maybe now would be nice to drive uh, the, the NASCAR, yeah. Why not? I believe you're a disc jockey. DJ Fizzy, go on, t tell us about that. Already when I was uh, younger, I was um, happy to, to enjoy sometimes the, the Saturday night in the discotheque. But uh, I was also attracted by the DJ. I was watching what they were doing uh, with the, you know, with the disco, with playing. And uh, seven or eight years ago, I asked to a friend of mine, which is a good DJ, to give me some lessons. I, I learned quite quickly and uh, I really love it. I play in some weekend of uh, Formula One Grand Prix in uh, Hungary, in uh, Singapore, so in many places, but I also play in, uh, in Ibiza. What time do you come on when you're in Ibiza? Uh, it was the 15th of August and it was around uh, yeah, 3 o'clock. It was quite late, but uh, it was nice. Le Mans was good training. <laughs> it was good training for Le Mans. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what about circuit design? Tell me, I know you're involved at Balaton Park, the new track in Hungary. Were you involved in the layout of that? Honestly, no. I was uh, the ambassador for the, for the launch of the circuit, which is, was uh, uh, a month ago, approximately. Um, it was nice to be there. It's a very nice circuit to drive. I really enjoy when I did a few laps uh, with, with uh, one uh, Ferrari road car. The place is amazing. It's around the lake of Balaton. There are a lot of furniture. There are a lot of uh, things uh, to, to spend a good holiday over there. So next time I will go there, I will bring my family. You can watch and can drive with, uh, with every category. Formula, GT, prototype, but also motorbike, I'm sure. Sounds fantastic. Maybe when I'm in Hungary for the Grand Prix, I need to go and take a look. And Fizzy, finally, what about the next generation? Are there going to be any little Fizzikellas coming through the junior formulas? Your son, Christopher, I know he's a little bit older than most kart drivers, but is he quick? Has he had a go? No, he's, uh, he's 20 and uh, he's doing university now. He was a good football player. Uh, but unfortunately, he broken uh, his ligaments twice, and now he stopped. He's studying. He's a nice guy. He's a boy. He's a nice boy. I'm happy like that. Yeah. Is he as good at football as his dad? It is. It is very good. Fizzy, you used to play in all the celebrity matches a lot with with Michael, with with Fernando. That always looked like it was a bit of a highlight for you. Yeah, football was my favorite hobby. I am a big supporter of AS Roma. You know. But uh, when I was young, uh, I was uh, playing uh, every time, every day. Also now, when I can, uh, I like to play. A little bit disappointed because I jumped uh, last, uh, last game in uh, Monte Carlo. Unfortunately, the Tuesday before the race, when there was the match, uh, I was with a fever. 
I couldn't go there. But next time I will be there. Can you keep up with all the, the current guys, you reckon? The, Pierre Gasly's decent, I've been told. Uh, Carlos Sainz is a good player as well. Yeah, but the, how do you say, the bomber uh, the, who scored more goals. You're the, the Ballon d'Or of the yeah, race car of drivers. Of the yeah. national <laughs> Italian drivers team. I, am, uh, I play with them since the 1994. Don't be modest. Are you the best football player among the F1 drivers? What about Schumacher? He was Michael was always. It was good. Uh, he was uh, practicing a lot. Uh, very good player, and he was uh, also uh, training with uh, with a team uh, uh, where he was living in, in Switzerland. Uh, it was nice to play with him. Yeah. And Fernando is good at football. Fernando is another good player. Very good player. He's very when, technical. When he was living in Dubai, I know that I think it was Real Madrid had a training facility in Dubai as well and Fernando used to play a lot with the Real Madrid players so he's obviously very good well Fizzy look enjoy the football enjoy everything that motor racing continues to give you it's been so wonderful to catch up it's been a pleasure it's uh, it's been a fantastic chat with you and uh, I really enjoy it's been nice to talk about my career remember remember all the races so thank you very much for your time Giancarlo, thank you for your time. I've really enjoyed it and um, some great memories. Thank you. See you soon. That was such an enjoyable chat. Fizzy is still so passionate about the sport and it was great to get his memories about his time in F1. I loved the story about buying Rolex watches for his car crew after that unexpected podium at Spa in 2001. And he explained what happened with Ferrari in 2009, those final five races of his career, so eloquently. Giancarlo, it was great to get in touch with you again. Many thanks for your time and see you soon. As ever, please send in your thoughts and stories about Giancarlo. What's your best memory of his time in Formula One? Did he deserve better? Let me know via all the usual means. I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter, or you can use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. Which brings us on to what you sent in after last week's show with Stefano Dominicali. It was great to hear from the Formula One boss, and we got bucket loads of correspondence. Let's start with this from Glenn, who says, Stefano is doing a fantastic job and is absolutely the right guy for the job. The sport has improved an incredible amount since the days of Bernie and Max, and Stefano deserves a lot of the credit for that. Thanks for getting in touch, Glenn. And yes, Stefano does deserve credit. And it's incredible to think, isn't it, that he's only Formula One's third ever boss. That weight of responsibility that he talked about so eloquently in the pod. And what about this from Ashley on Twitter? Stefano has the unenviable task of trying to please everyone and all the fans, both old and new. He's fascinating to listen to and the future of Formula One is exciting. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Ashley. When you run a sport like Formula One, you can't please all of the people all of the time. And that's the line that Stefano has to walk. And I think he's walking it very well, I must say. Finally, let's hear this from Harry on Spotify. I love the interview with Stefano. He's really interesting to listen to. Well, thanks, Harry. It's great to hear from you. Stefano's done a lot in his life. And although he came back to what he calls the family business of Formula One, he's very interesting about a wide range of subjects. We're going to leave it there for this week, but thank you to everyone who got in touch. I read all of your messages. And please do get in touch about Fizzy in time for next week's show. Let me know your thoughts. 
Well, that's about it for this week from me. A few other bits and pieces to remind you about. F1 Nation's review of the Canadian Grand Prix with Natalie Pinkham, Fred Ferre from L'Equipe and myself is out now. We're joined by loads of big names from the paddock, so please give that a listen. And why not do the same with Formula Y? This week's episode is a quick-fire question special with Formula One's Lawrence Barreto and former Aston Martin head of strategy Bernie Collins. That's out on Friday. Just search for Formula Y on your podcast app. I'll catch you all again next week when I'll be speaking to another great guest from the world of Formula One. But for now, goodbye. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs>